Over the past decade, Keith Carlock has gained worldwide notoriety through his steady gig with Steely Dan. In uncharacteristic fashion, Keith has held the reins behind Steely's drum set since joining the band for the recording of their 2003 album, Everything Must Go. Since then, Keith has been a hot prospect and has performed with high-profile artists such as Sting, John Mayer, James Taylor, Chris Bode, Oz Noy, Wayne Krantz, Diana Ross, Faith Hill, and many others. And soon, Keith will be taking over drumming duties for Toto this year for both their upcoming world tour as well as performing on the band's long-awaited album project. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Keith Carlock. Hey, Keith, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks, Rick. You're arguably one of the most sought-after drummers on the planet right now. I mean, from from Sting and Steely Dan and John Mayer, you know, Chris Bode, and, and now we've learned that you'll be uh, joining Toto pretty soon. We'll cover that topic a little bit later, but let's take a step back, and I want to talk about, you know, your road to this success. And like so many of our guests, your interest in music started, you know, at the early age of five years old. But tell us, tell us why and how and what was the influence that even led you to picking up a pair of sticks and, you know, starting to pound away at the drums? Well, I, I always say that I was one of those weird kids that just knew right away what I wanted to do with myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just came out of my mom's womb and knowing somehow that uh, I was drawn to music and rhythm and, and uh, I don't know, I guess it was just around the house and uh, being from the South, there was a lot of music going around mm-hmm. in my neighborhood. And I was just able to start playing with people at a really early age in bands. And, uh, so I wasn't just playing by myself, you know, like, um, in the practice room alone. I mean, I was, I was always playing with other people and I think that made a much bigger difference, you know, in how, um, I developed. I think it was just having encouraging parents that helped and, and being, like I said, from the South around a lot of really great music that, that I was turned on to and, um, just encouragement along the way. Um, and then probably just watching late night TV, with Johnny Carson and seeing Billy Rich and or watching the animal on uh, yeah. the Muppet show. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I caught the bug. Yeah. Well, you grew up in, in Clinton, Mississippi, and uh, you were involved in all the usual music program stuff, you know, like jazz band and show choir and even marching band. And I, I was in marching band, and I'm a big marching band geek. And I, I read that, you know, you were in drum corps, and I'm curious to know if, if that drum corps that you were involved in was actually Drum Corps International. Was it DCI? No, I was a huge fan of DCI, but uh, I, I never really pursued that. Oh, okay. I didn't want to become the whole summer. I was always a drum set guy, number one. Mm-hmm. So I, I always felt like, oh, if I'm going to play snare drum or whatever, you know, um, all summer long, I won't be able to play the drums or the drum set, and I'll you know I'll get rusty. And but I loved it, and I um I was in drum lines in school from from like you know high school, and then in college when I went to the University of North Texas, they had a really really great percussion department. That I mean everyone in the drum line there, which I was involved in, yeah, was uh, DCI guys. Okay, so I got to play as close to DCI as possible being at that school because uh, you know they were all that good and they had done it every summer for years and sure. so uh, I learned a lot from working with with them and, <laughs> and I kind of had to step up to the plate <laughs> to, to be able to hang with that you know yeah it's pretty intense stuff I, I love DCI I was involved with it you know about twenty something years ago too so and we got to have like all these great instructors come in and yeah. teach us the the routines Tom Float and uh, Ralph Hardiman and and uh, 
Dr. Shatroma was the head of the department then, and, and, you know, he was well known in that, and well, I guess everything really, but, but in that whole genre and, and uh, brought in, you know, all those guys and a lot of the, the students that are the student teachers that were there at the time, like Paul Rennick and I think Jeff Prosperi, I think they're all, you know, teaching DCI now, or at yeah. least they did for a long time. So, um, at least I got pretty close to doing it. Yeah, yeah I was curious about that. <laughs> hey, we know we know that your parents were pretty supportive, uh, uh, Keith, about your your drumming. In fact, I think if we're correct, uh, they did something to the garage that sort of uh, helped uh, dampen the sound, didn't they? Yeah, you guys did your research, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think my, it just reached the point where my parents were like, you know. This, he's not going to stop, so we, we really got <laughs> That's good. We, we, we got to, you know, do something here. So <laughs> I guess uh, that's that's where they got the idea because I, I just – I was pretty committed at that point. So they're like, all right. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they um, got rid of the two-car garage and made it a studio for me, <laughs> and it was soundproof, kind of soundproof. I think yeah. it, whoever made it was not that great, didn't really know about soundproofing. So yeah. it really wasn't that soundproof because I think I still had the neighbors call the cops on me. <laughs> so, you know, it was just very, very typical, but rock and roll, I guess. Right, right. So <laughs> so were your, so were your um, parents um, musical at all? Um, not really. I think they were just music fans. I think my mom played a little piano, but just as a hobby. And, and yeah. my dad, I think I remember him saying he played saxophone in school band, you know, when he was really young, but, but he, you know, no, they didn't take it seriously at all. So it wasn't like, it's not like I came from a family of these amazing musicians or anything. I mean, my, my sisters played piano, but both my sisters are good piano players, um, but not professionally or anything like that. Yeah. The influences that I were getting was just other peers and like in the neighborhood and um and then once I was, you know, in bands at school, just getting turned on to things from my friends and yeah. you know, just being hungry, buying mm-hmm. good music. Well when you were uh, when you were pounding away in your in your garage, that soundproof garage of yours, you know, you would listen to a lot of rock and R and B back then, but but I think I understand that you were turned on to, to fusion and jazz by a couple of uh, instructors you had and you know, I was just curious about what jazz artists and jazz drummers that were capturing your attention when you were younger. Yeah. I went from like, I guess the progressive rock phase I, I went through. I was a huge Rush fan and yeah. Kansas and like, you know, those kind of bands that one song was the whole side of the record, that kind of thing. Right, right. <laughs> and and I, I love that kind of music that just kind of went in all these different places and uh, kind of just told a story. And once that was kind of... Uh, I guess, I don't know. I didn't get sick of it, but I just wanted to, I wanted more. And, and my teachers sure. turned me on to instrumental music and jazz and fusion. And the first thing I remember caught my attention was the fusion guys and that were really popular were like, um, at the time were it's hilarious. Cause they're, they're like my friends now, but cause I've gotten to, to know them and, uh, like Dave Weckl and Dennis Chambers and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, Benny Caliuta, those three were like really just playing on everything and I mean they still are but you know they were really the the uh, modern fusion guys when I was in I guess in high school and college then I started going backwards and got into more straight ahead guys and when I listened to Tony Williams and Ellen Jones and Jack DeJanet that that kind of thing that that really changed my life 
and uh, seeing Elvin play for the first time at Catalina's in LA, I remember. Yeah. Um, it, it really, it's just seeing someone play with that kind of passion. I, I'll never forget it. It was like one of those moments where that's when I realized I get it. Like I get what that means now mm-hmm. to like play with that kind of passion and to feel something from the stage that was that powerful right? and expressive and creative. And so I, I got really into wanting to, well, at least I wanted to learn how to be a good improviser, you know? <laughs> and yeah. So I, I just kind of went that route all the way through college and at the same time, I was working at night in different cover bands and whatever weddings mm-hmm. and things that that you do, you know, right? <laughs> to um, to try to oh, just to keep playing, yeah, keep your chops. Yeah, up. I keep playing, and I love just playing groove music too. So yeah. I got to do, I kind of have the best of both, and and I think till this day I kind of do that. I put on different hats depending on the gig, you know. Well, you you talked about North Texas a minute ago, and and you, uh, you obviously went to school there, and you studied with uh, the great Ed Soff, and. Um, I was curious, a couple things here. Uh, I was curious about ha- how Ed's instruction, you know, molded you as a drummer. And I was also wondering, uh, I think he was Ed that taught you the Muller technique. Is that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had to be a big um, influence on the way you actually approach the drums. Is that correct? Yeah, huge, huge influence. And um, it was at a time where I I was really, really getting into wanting to learn what jazz was all about and the feel and the touch on the instrument and, and the sound it needed and, and the, the, the flow it needed and all, all the technical stuff. And he basically just turned me completely around uh, with my technique and, and with this Muller and coming from, like we talked about earlier, the drumline background, things yeah. were, you know, really much more tight and rigid. And my, I was using more wrist strokes and, Everything was just very uh, military style, kind of, you know, at least the newer DCI style, that kind yeah, of just yeah. really, really rigid. And <clears throat> so you really can't play that way on the kit unless you want a, that kind of a rigid kind of a sound, you know. So yeah, I had to yeah. really just loosen up and, and um, Ed really brought that out and, and I was able to kind of get rid of all that tense and tight technique and right. sound. Yeah, well, I've seen you play, obviously, many times with uh, with Steely Dan and... Uh, you know, I I could tell. I mean, it was kind of funny when I read the fact that you were you taught this molar technique. I I also remember learning about that. You know, when I studied percussion, and I, I kind of when I when I watched you play, you you've got kind of a, like a, a whip to your form, and I can tell that you're really putting a lot of weight behind the stick, and um and I and I just it just kind of dawned on me that yeah, that's that's probably what he learned in you know from the that molar technique. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and the idea is just to keep. Everything really loose in the hands, but mm-hmm. I can use the arms for weight and volume when I need it. You know, um, it probably looks like I'm hitting a lot harder than I am. Really, yeah, exactly right. It's just to get the the feel that I want and the space between the notes and just what I found works for me. Just yeah. the feeling, you know, when I'm playing. Sure, right. Uh, I don't know if I actually do the molar right, you know, anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if I ever <laughs> did, but but I took I took the things from it that that really worked for me and right. kind of applied it to other things that I had going on, you know, so it, it kind of more to its own version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after you moved uh, on from North Texas, you spent a little bit of time in Dallas, but then you found your way, uh, uh, you know, heading over to the, to the big apple, New York city. And what was it there that, uh, that led you there? I think it, the city itself was, um, intimidating and, and scary. And, but at the same time, it was very exciting to think of, of living here, there, or here. I'm actually here now. <laughs> the first time I went to New York was uh, 
kind of funny now. I was, <laughs> I was in the McDonald's All American Band, and, and okay. I got to march in the Macy's Day Parade. There you <laughs> go. Really? There you go. <laughs> and I just remember saying, I remember, um, you know, we had a little TV moment um, in front of Macy's, you know, on 34th Street. Yeah. Anyway, you know, I was, I was like a junior in high school, so to me it was this huge deal to to um, to do that, and and uh, I just fell in love with the city when I was here. We, we were here for several weeks rehearsing and stuff. So I just always in the back of my head, I'm, I'm you know, I just said I'm going to be here one day as soon as possible, you know, whenever yeah. it works out logistically in my life. So seriously, later, you know, I just started checking out. All my favorite music just seemed to be coming from New York, and all the players that I liked were mostly in New York. And uh, I just love the city yeah. so much. You know, city just, life kind yeah. of thing. Just pulled you in, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you started, I think when you were there, you started getting gigs with uh, guys like David Johansson and uh, like the Harry Smiths. But, but being a, a new kid in town, how difficult was it to start landing, you know, gigs? You know, I, I mean, was it, was it difficult? I mean, did, did you work yourself right in or was it, uh, did you find it fairly easy? I was one of those last guys that got in at the right time. Uh-huh. I, I, don't, I always wonder how it would be now because it just, eventually <laughs> just seemed so different. Right. You know, but mm-hmm. I moved to New York in 96. Okay. After spending some time in, in Texas after leaving school and just kind of working in Dallas a lot. Right. Until I felt ready, you know. But I, I just, I don't remember it being that difficult. I, I luckily had some leads already, some people I went to school with that moved here before me. And so we kept in touch. And, you know, they got me on some stuff right away. Just weddings or whatever right you know I, I saved enough money where i had a little cushion but i never needed it luckily i just it just kind of kept building and um i remember someone saw me play at, at like a blues club or something and asked me to come join this this jam at the bitter end every sunday night okay that was kind of like my first gig i guess that was steady and and in new york and got to meet all these players sitting in and that's how I met Oz Noy. I remember he, he moved it to town around the same time. Uh-huh. The guy that I play with a lot now. And yeah. It was just great because it kind of just gave me a chance to meet a lot of people right away and um, that were, you know, doing stuff. And and that's a certain scene there, the Bleecker Street thing. You know, I didn't want to just do that, but, but it was a start. And then I had a plan, sort of, of what I thought I wanted to do and you know, I've told this story many, many, many times, but I, yeah. I was a huge fan of Wayne Krentz, right. you know, who, uh, at the time I didn't even realize he had done Steely Dan in 96 or whatever, but I was just a fan of his music. And I went to see him play when he played at the 55 bar. Um, it wasn't a weekly thing back then. So it was, it was very, you know, you just kind of had to find out about it. It was right. just here and there. And so I went up to introduce myself and just told him I'd love to play sometime. And I think he had heard about me through some friends that he, you know, it just kind of worked out to where it, it was good timing. He was looking for someone and, and we just kind of hit it off. And then finally he, he did call me and we got together as a duo and, and at this little rehearsal space in New York, that's not even there anymore down mm-hmm. in Alphabet city. And we, we played duo and we just really connected rhythmically and musically, I think, um, mm-hmm. good enough at the time anyway. And, yeah. and, um, so we started playing and then that, that just kind of really, um, opened up a lot more in the right. city because he kind of had this underground thing going and, and then it turned into this trio that lasted for many years and which led to, in a weird way, it led to me meeting Donald and Walter. That's right. They they came into that uh, 55 bar and uh, caught one of your uh, your shows with Wayne Krantz and that's that's how you originally met them, right? Exactly, yeah. 
how did that meeting transpire you, into you getting that gig with Steely Dan? I mean, can you can you walk us through you know kind of what happened and you know and, and how that all transpired? Yeah, um, they were coming to some of the gigs at the 55 with the band with Wayne's band, and I can't remember how many times, but at least three or four times that I remember just just checking it out. And I, I guess they were about to start recording Two Against Nature around that time, and I remember. Uh, one of those pinch myself moments, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. Wayne told me the doll wanted us to play with us one night. I'm not sure how it exactly happened or how it came together, but I'm going to play Rhodes one night. Will Lee was playing bass. And, uh, you know, there I am. I'd been in New York maybe maybe a year. I'm not even sure if it was a year yet. And, yeah. and I'm playing playing with three of my heroes, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> at this little club in New York, it's very cool. And I, I think just through those experiences they, they were aware of me and, and I guess they were interested in what I was doing. And they eventually asked Wayne's trio, which was Tim LaFave. It ended up being myself, Tim LaFave and Wayne's trio for years. And right. we had this steady Thursday night gig, um, asked us to come to their studio, River sound in the city and, and do some recording. And I guess they were thinking maybe they'd produce it. I mean, it was, it was always kind of vague to be honest, but mm-hmm it was still very cool to be invited to the studio and for us to just do our thing and record. And, you know, nothing ever came of those recordings. Uh, I don't even know if Wayne has them. Yeah. I was just about to ask you what, what were those recordings? Were they anything that in, eventually developed into songs on their albums or was it other work? It was tunes that we were playing at the time that were, that we were playing at the bar. Um, and when we would go out and tour, this is the, the, the repertoire we had, we had known, and I think we were just recording it. Okay. I don't know for whatever reason it just never. I don't know if, if Wayne was happy with the way it came together, or, or I don't. I don't really remember. But I see. the point being is that that's how I think Donald and Walter saw me in the studio and saw how I work in the studio, and I think that's really if I had to guess, you know, that yeah. just that that experience at least won me a, a shot at, you know, when they started recording to sure they called me in to do some of the, the tracks just to see, see how it went, I suppose. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it just, it developed from there. You know, I, I, I luckily made one track on that record. <laughs> I, yeah. I, re- I recorded a couple of others that didn't make it. And then, uh, that was the title track Two against nature, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that one made it. And, yeah. and, um, and then, so that was cool. I got, you know, I got a tune and then, um, very exciting and, uh, really thought that that was probably the end of it, you know, <laughs> but, but they, they ended up calling me for the next record. Everything must go. And, right. and they, they had us come in the rhythm section. Oh, you know what it was? It was before the recording started for the record. Um, there was a, a tribute to Joni Mitchell that was, I guess they were going to be a part of or submit really? a track for. And, okay. and we did the song Carrie. Okay. I remember it never came out, you know, so one of those things that just, but it still was a great uh, experience because I think they realized that they could put this band together in the room and, and, you know, we got a nice track in one day and then they could just kind of do overdubs to those rhythm tracks and, right. and just take it one tune at a time instead of trying to just bring in different players and, and just turn it into this whole, like, I guess, I guess maybe they were thinking this was a way they could, make it sound more cohesive with the same players maybe and yeah. not take so long to make it, you know, cause two against nature, I think took over a couple of years yeah. in the finish. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this was done a lot quicker and, 
once they called me to do the the sessions for the record, I was very surprised and excited, of course, but um, that's what happened. We would do like one or two tunes and then get some takes that they really liked. Yeah. You know, sometimes it was 10 to 15 takes, but they, they'd end up picking the one they liked and yeah. and then finish it out, meaning, you know, put the overdubs and whatever solos or horn parts and vocals and, and just finish out the whole entire tune. Right before they moved on to the next ones. And then they'd call us again, you know, I was always <laughs> like, Oh, am I going to, am I going to make the next cut? You know, cause yeah. you just wonder, you never know, you know, uh, in yeah, that history that doesn't, that has never happened. Before. <laughs> right. Right. I didn't expect it to happen with us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> hey Keith, when you look back at, uh, you know, the, she was the, let's just call it the lineage of drummers for Steely Dan. I mean, it's just, uh, it's almost mind boggling. You know, you got Purdy, Percaro, you know, Gad, Murata, Keltner, Gordon, and, and so many others. And, and when you got this gig, I mean, you, you had to at least uh, look back at the history of these, you know, amazing players and, and think, gee whiz, how, how do I do this? Do I emulate them? I mean, how, you know, what, what do I do from here? Where do I fall in? Did that uh, cross your mind at all when you're thinking about, uh, boy, now you got this gig? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, as a musician, it's one of those, one of those gigs that is just, uh, highly regarded as, you know, one of those gigs that you all aspire to, to be a part of. And, and, uh, there's only a few of those, you know, that, that I would say are, yeah. are on that, that kind of plateau, you know? And so I was certainly, you know, honored to be asked to be involved. And then I think what really hit me is when, when I got the call to do the tour in 2003 right? Yeah, and just realizing that now I really did have to be all those drummers in a way you yeah, know, because right, we're going right. to be playing that old repertoire. Cause the, the newer stuff that I was called into play was, was interpreted the way that, that I interpreted it and uh, what I thought they wanted, you know? Yeah. So that it was a little different, but I think when, when we had to go back and do all the stuff from the seventies and, that's when I was like, wow, this is this is deep, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going back again. You hit again uh, the 2003 uh, year, and of course with Everything Must Go and the tour. But you also, I believe, right around the time you did Morph the Cat too, and I think even uh, uh, Walter was doing another solo album. So with all this happening, it's just like sort of going fast. Um, you know, just give us a little glimpse as to, can you pinpoint, I mean, looking back now, as to what it was about your playing that, they really dug, you know, that, that you were there to go guy now? Was it the consistency of the groove? What, what do you think they really embrace in your playing? Um, I mean, I guess it really is a question for them to answer, but I, mm-hmm. I would guess that I just connect with where they're coming from uh-huh. um, because it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the music, but I'm a fan of all the music that they love too. I mean, I, I love jazz. I love R and B. I understand what the music needs and, uh, the consistency it does need. And, and I understand all the details that make it what it is. There's just so many subtleties in the grooves that are important and how that lines up with the rest of the rhythm section. And there's just so much going on that, that I think Without, I mean, not that we've ever talked about it, but I think that they they get that I understand all that, and I know I can be myself with it too. But I'm not going to take it too far away from the original, and uh, I think it's just a trust thing at this point. Yeah. So talking about your work with them, then uh, you know whether it's studio work or whatever um, with Donald and Walter, you know they're they're so detailed and and they know so much. Like everybody knows as as to what they're looking for and what they want. So they have to use you know 
you know, you have to navigate some charts, some some time, uh, some point, you know, into what you lay down. I mean, is there parameters there? How, how do you typically work with the, with the charts when you work with Donald and Walter? Uh, in a studio situation? Yeah, yeah. Do you mean or? Yep. Well, typically there is a demo and a chart. We'll listen it, listen to it down. Um, there's only been a few times where we actually rehearsed some stuff before going in. Most of the time. It was just uh, hearing it for the first time at the mm-hmm. tracking day, well, which is kind of a drag because I'd rather have some time to live with it, and right, you know. But I, you know, they're not asking me, so. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it was, from what I remember, most of the time listening to the demo and making notes on the chart as we're listening, and and then going out and you know maybe talking some things down or some ideas that they may have for for the grooves and things like that, but. Right. A lot of the times I would find that what was on the demo was really pretty close. You know, they just wanted me to humanize it and mm-hmm. and just spice it up a little bit and give it a more of a feel than, you know, whatever they were using for demos, you know. Yeah, right. As far as the parts, you know, I think they were kind of, it was pretty close. You know, I don't remember it ever swaying too far from what the demo was. You know? mm-hmm. okay. But but we would, we would just start uh, recording with with everyone in the room and... and once maybe rehearse it down a couple of times, then then just start tracking. I mean, start recording. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's an. It's, so it was very quick. Yeah. Well, it's obvious. Uh, I mean, it's an assumption that probably your stuff went down first, right? And then, uh, um, and can we assume that there's some times when you don't even know what a track's going to really, really end up? I mean, you, it's going to be close to the demo, like you say. But uh, sometimes after you do your work, you lay down your tracks. It's basically up to them, and you you really don't know what the finished product's going to be, do you? Oh no, not at all. Yeah, and a lot of the times I didn't know um, what the vocal melody was, or or yeah, what, what horns were going to be added, things like that. So that has a lot to do with you know how I approach it because I don't I don't you know they may hear it, so they would tell me I guess if it was if I played something that maybe got in the way of that or or you know emphasize this or the, or not that or things like suggestions they may have, but but because you don't know, I think it kind of contains the the rhythm track is just a really specific, repetitive thing that, that really is kind of cool and it works, you know? Yeah. It's certainly different than how I would approach playing live. Yeah. It's just very, very, very different. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, well, recently, I, I mentioned this at the top of the show, we, we've learned uh, this news about Toto's drummer, uh, Simon Phillips, his decision to step away from the band. Uh, to pursue other interests. And in that announcement from the band, they mentioned that uh, you would be taking Simon's place for this upcoming tour, as well as uh, laying down some tracks for their new studio album. And, you know, obviously on social media, there's a lot of fans who are wondering if if you're merely filling in for a specific period of time, or, or are you actually, in fact, now a member of the band? Can you explain all of this? Um, I can't really uh, say a whole lot because it's it's so new. Right. Um, and my affiliation is very limited so far. I, I think um, it is true that that we're going to do some recording, and and I'm doing a Japan tour coming up. Yeah, um, really, really excited and and uh, happy to be, you know, a part of the band. I, I, I guess I I'm just uh, I'm so new at it that I don't I don't want to. Yeah, I don't have much experience to to say right now, but right, uh, right. Huge fan of the of the band and always have been. So I'm really really quite honored, you know. You know, I can understand how you can't really say anything at this point, or maybe it's just too fresh and too new to know, but uh, uh, it was just a curiosity about, you know, just sort of the level of where you are with the band at this point. And, you know, 
thinking about this gig, I would think that it's it's somewhat of a familiar situation for you in a sense that you're stepping into a band that has a history of incredible drummers. You know, well, in this case, two drummers. You know, Jeff and, and Simon. And when you accepted this gig with Toto. Uh, what were your initial thoughts about how you'll approach, you know, like like the Steely Dan thing we talked about a minute ago, how you'll actually approach these songs that contain Jeff Picaro and uh, Simon Phillips' signatures? I, you know, I just have to do what I've always done and uh, with any other gig is, yeah. is find my place in it and, and, you know, pay homage to what was there, but find my own way to do it and, and make it more of my own, you know. I, I think that's... I think that's what they expect and, and what they would want me to do. You know, it's, it's huge shoes to fill, and I, I'm very uh, aware of that, you know. Yeah. But I'm also pretty used to it because of all the, you know, you got the same problem with Steely Dan and, and everybody else I've worked yeah. with. It's, it's, I'm always kind of uh, coming in after these master players. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to do my thing, and uh, hopefully it's valid and, and all all good and groovy. Yeah. No, I'm just just really really looking forward to it. I, I'm yeah. like I said, I'm such a fan, and and uh, I've worked with Luke or Steve Lukather on a few things, and uh, just such a great great guy, an amazing player, and just I've just been such a fan, you know. And I'm really the whole Jeff Picaro connection is so cool too. Yeah. I'm such a fan, and yeah. of course Simon, I love I love Simon. Yeah. So it's just it's going to be another uh, just really really fun experience, you know, to be a part of that. Well, what's interesting here is that they're about ready to create a brand new project, and you're going to be in, not necessarily coming in to do old work right away, but you're going to be doing brand new total work, and I think that's going to be a, a neat in for you. You know what I mean? As you uh, you you join the band, um, but tell me a little bit about your familiarity with uh, some of the total music. I mean, you you probably go way back a little bit. You're not that old, but at the same time, I mean, are you, you can say that you hey, you're somewhat familiar with the the total classics and that type of thing. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I knew I knew all the hits, yeah. you know, all the big hits, which is a lot, a lot of them. Yeah. But then going back, I've been, of course, I've been listening to a lot lately, and uh, of Toto and and getting caught up and learning learning the show, and um, and I've been having a lot of fun because, I'm, you know, of course, I I knew a lot of the music, but there's a few I forgot about, and I'm like, oh yeah, right. they did this too, and like, and it's just endless, you know, it's unbelievable. It is the catalog, and and then. Some of the newer stuff I didn't know as well, and and but it's growing on me the more I listen to it, and um, just anything that's on this high of a level with musicianship and and the, the songwriting and and just the, the production and everything is just done so it's such well crafted stuff that yeah. how can you not love it? How can you not be a fan of that? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really exciting. I mean, it really is for me. Well, again, this is another sort of speculative question, and it, it probably is, is an answer that I, I kind of already assume that you you can't answer at this point. But it d- obviously it doesn't appear that Steely is touring this year. But how will this affect your gig with them moving forward? Is it is it pretty free and clear at this point? You, you'll you'll rejoin Steely at some point. Is that right, or, or will you not? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think um, at this point, it's um, it's just you know another addition to. I mean, Toto will be just another addition to everything else that I that I try to keep doing and try to keep going. So mm-hmm. um, that's how I see it yeah. so far. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's just at the very beginning stages. Sure. And so we'll, we'll see how everything develops. But um, certainly have no intention of of not working with Steely Dan. You know, I, I, we'll we'll see what 
what transpires. You know? Yeah. Well, we we just want to let you know that you know we're we ha- our listeners are just huge Toto fans, and of course we've had David and Luke and Simon and Steve Percaro. Steve, had we've had all, all the guys. Yes, <laughs> we've had them all on the show, so we we know them well, and they're good friends of ours. So that's why we're asking uh, some of the questions uh, that we're asking. But you know what? We're gonna, we're just going to have to uh, get you back on the on the show once you settle in, yeah. and uh, and, <laughs> yeah, and talk yeah. about that stuff and and go from there. You know, it's amazing. I've been getting a lot of. Uh, interview requests and uh, from all over the world, but a lot of stuff in Europe, you know, um, since this news came out and, and, um, and it's, I I basically just have to tell everyone the same thing. I said, I just need more time to have some ammunition. You know, I I have nothing to say yet. Tell it, tell us now, Keith. I'm excited about it. Just make something up. Yeah. Just lie lie, lie to us do something, you know, I just got a couple more uh, thoughts about Toto and then we'll move on. But uh, when I think about, you know, your drumming style and then I compare it to, you know, Jeff and Simon and what they've added to Toto over the years, you know, this is just me, but I'd say your style is more closely resembled Jeff's. Would you agree with that? Um, I would. I'll I'll agree with that. And I I appreciate that. I I think – yeah, I think so. They're both so different. Yeah. And I love I love both approaches so much, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but even just coming down to the to the kit itself. Yeah. I have the huge kit like like Simon. I have uh, a very simple just basic drum set that just creates a different vibe right there, I think. Just the kind of the, the approach right there, I think. Yeah. And just tuning and things like that. You know, just the, the vibe. Sounds yeah, mm-hmm. I was just going to mention you. You hit the nail right on the on the head. You know, I was going to ask you, you know, tell you that you know we all know that Simon's kits are just really complex animals, very percussive. They're huge, and uh, and I know that size when it comes down to drummer, it it, it doesn't matter. You still always have two arms, you know. Um, but I, we were going to ask you, will your kit change much? I mean, um, how do you analyze this as as a drummer? You know, a kit designed for Stevie Dan as opposed to Toto, knowing the type of music that'll be sort of a little change. Will you design it any differently? How would how will you approach the kit on that, or do you? You know, I don't. I don't feel like I have to add to it or okay. change it. I, I think, and I'm not saying that I won't. Right. I, I think um, I'll, I'll just see how things feel as we go. You know, and and see how this Japan stuff goes, and, yeah. and uh, I'll be able to determine better. But um, I think there's a lot of similarities in a Steely Dan uh, show and our Toto show, and then there's a lot that isn't the same because I, I think. Um, it's very, very groove based, yeah. both of them, you know, so it's really the grooves, the most important thing, but then uh, it seems like there's a lot more big rock yeah. type of influence in the Toto stuff yeah. occasionally as well, that, that would just lend itself to different sounds. I can, I can kind of already feel that, you know, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Right. I've always kind of kept the same setup no matter what the mm-hmm. gig, you know, mm-hmm. But but I like to change it up, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm open. Yeah. Well, this is a cool chat for me and and Eddie too. But yeah. personally, you know, Toto and Steely Dan have always been my two favorite bands. So you know, it's it's kind of fun for me to talk to you because you've no been doubt. associated with both, and exactly. it's that's really unique for from my perspective. I know, right? <laughs> we're, we're about to wrap up. We've got a few more questions, and these uh, have to do with some other projects you're involved with. And and one is uh, our good friend Christopher Cross, who's been a, a past guest of our show a couple of times, and and we understand that that you laid down some tracks for uh, his upcoming album project and. 
you know, how did you get involved with Christopher, and, and was that the first time you guys have worked together? Yeah, um, we we did some tracking um, several months ago in New York. He contacted me um, through, I think it was through uh, Dave Mann, his uh, sax player, player his yeah. band. Yeah, and um, I think he Dave got us in touch th- just through emails, and um, and I was. I was blown away. I mean, cause I'm, I'm such a fan of, of him as well, you yeah. know, and didn't realize he even knew who I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was cool because it's like, yeah, man, I said, he's like, you know, who I am. And I'm like, do you know who I am? And like, and we're like, we're fans of each other. Come on. <laughs> so it was great. And, and we, we just kind of kept in touch. I told him, of course I'd be into that, you know, let's, let's do something. And, um, ended up doing, what I think is probably the whole record. And uh, I don't know any more than like, as far as when it might be coming out or anything like that. I mean, he's, he's just an amazing talent. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It really is. And a great the guy. Songwriting is just incredible. Yeah. yeah he's great cool. guy. He's a cool guy. So he's become a friend and we've, we've had some hangs and yeah, he, he came to a Steely Dan show down in Austin last year. So we got to hang out. Well, you know, another project you're involved with, uh, another band, is uh, with your good friend uh, Wayne Krantz, and it's called The Ringers, and of course that includes Jimmy Herring and Michael Landau and uh, Etienne Mbop, and and I'm just curious about your collaboration with those guys and how that all came together. Yeah, that was put together by the label Abstract Logics. Okay. Um, and Shovik, he he runs the label, and he also, I guess, books a lot of well, I guess he books wherever he feels like he he's interested in booking. But I, I think a lot of the artists that he's he deals with with the label, I think he also books a little bit. Anyway, um, he called me, and um, we met through Wayne Krantz, a few other things. Uh, Wayne worked with him. Yeah. So he just had this idea um, of putting this kind of guitar supergroup together and asked me if I'd be interested in being involved. And I was like, of course. And you know, it's Michael Landau and Wayne Krantz and Jimmy Herring and and ATN Mbappe, which I'd never worked with yeah. at all. And I I knew about him. He he's lives in Paris, um, mm-hmm. originally from I think Cameroon, but amazing bass player. And mm-hmm. I hadn't worked with Jimmy Herring before, but I knew all about him because I was growing up. Uh, well, not growing up, but when I was in college, I I would go see the Aquarium Rescue Unit, Colonel Bruce Hampton, and the Aquarium Rescue Unit, and I was yeah. I was just really into that yeah. kind of stuff and the jam band stuff that was kind of the, the start of all that i think sure so but and then i worked with michael landau with with james taylor when i'd done a few tours with james and, and michael's been in that band forever you know right. just an amazing guitar player uh, yeah so it just sounded it sounded uh just like a cool thing and um there's some shows uh when everyone's schedules worked out and we did a string of shows from the south up to the northeast seaboard but they recently went out and did some more this month, and I unfortunately couldn't go because um, we uh, just had our second daughter. Uh, and congratulations. She was, I think since she was due uh, the week that the tour was going to be you know, going on, like right in the middle, and so I didn't want to leave and risk missing that. So um, this great drummer, Gary Novak, came in and, and, and you know, yeah, subbed for me. And, yeah. So, you know, I don't really know what the next plan is, but it'd be great if that band did some recording, you know, just to get some, some product out there. Yeah. That's what I was curious about what you guys were actually playing. Yeah. Um, each guy brought in some original stuff there, you know, that that they thought, I think, I know Wayne wrote a couple of tunes just for that band that were new and 
I, I think Landau did as well. I think Jimmy did as well. Yeah. I mean, they all just brought in stuff from their, that they had written prior to this band. And then some of it, uh, with this band in mind, they just brought some tunes in and then ATN brought some tunes in as well. I didn't bring in any tunes, but I brought, it, <laughs> I brought in some, I was the dome drummer. Like, you know, anyway, but I, I just gave some input as to some cover tunes that we could add, you know, like some meter stuff just to kind of break it up and make it a little less brainy and, and just groovy, you know? So I brought in a few tunes that we could play that just to break up the set a little bit. Cool. So, and that's, that's as far as it got with me and hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens later. I, I don't, I don't know at the moment. Yeah. But it'd be great if that if they could record like a live record and I, just, I think it would be that kind of a thing. I think yeah. the live experience with that band would be pretty special. I would think so, yeah. yeah. Well, in, in talking uh Keith about your well, let's talk about fatherhood celebration here. You know, we should also mention that your wife Lynn is she's a really talented vocalist and and recently you released an album that you produced for her called Once and for All and it had some neat players on this album. Tell us about this project a little bit. Yeah, she's a great singer-songwriter. Um, that's originally how we met, you know, just kind of on the scene in New York. Mm-hmm. We've worked together over the years in different situations. Every now and then I would do some shows with her and things like that and some recording. But um, we just decided to do something together, just husband and wife team, you yeah. know, and just um, just kind of see how it came out. And we did this in Nashville. She had got a bunch of tunes and together and uh with different co-writes with people over the years and yeah um and so i i just helped with the music part just getting the band together and getting the charts done and we basically just cut all the tunes in one day in nashville with with some great nashville players yeah that uh basically just read the charts down and (laughs) and uh and then we we were free to just do all the overdubs and things later as we as we could schedule it but it came out great and uh when you do things that fast it's you can't be as particular. You just kind of have to get get stuff that really has a vibe and yeah. works yeah. well. And uh, can't be too specific or, or fussy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's you can find it at, at in iTunes or or uh, she yeah. has a website. She spells them and things like that. Yeah, her website is uh, it's lynncarlock dot com. Is that right? Yeah, and it's it's L Y N N E. That's right. There's two N's and, and an E after. Okay. That, cool. So. Great. Yeah, yeah, definitely check that out. Um, hey, you know, speaking of solo projects, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not aware of any solo projects that, that you've done, and it's it probably mainly because you haven't had time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I just I just wondered if that was something that's on your radar. Do you think you'll ever create, you know, your, uh, somewhere down the road, if, if things relax a little bit for you, you might dive into a solo project? I think so. I mean, I've, I've certainly been tossing that around for years, and uh I get so busy doing sideman work and other people's stuff yeah. that I, I really enjoy. I'm luckily I'm, I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. I haven't felt like I'm missing out, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. That side of my brain is not being used. And I, I, I think I'd, I would love to do something at some point. Yeah. And I've, I've gone through many different ideas of what that would be mm-hmm. over the years. And, and now I'm just completely confused as to what it would be. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I could do the typical easy thing and just do kind of a drum feature record, you know, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if people are really interested in that anymore. I don't have no idea. But yeah, I mean, I think it, at some point I'll figure something out. 
Yeah, well, you do have that instructional DVD out. Correct. And, and yeah. I've seen that. That's really cool. And uh, I know that's that's a great uh, that's a great tool for drummers. Is you know beginners or advanced. You, you go through a lot of really uh, a pretty wide spectrum of of of, uh, of instruction on that. Right. Yeah, I thought that came out pretty well. I was pretty pretty happy with it. Mm-hmm. Well, Keith, you know it's it's been really great uh, getting to talk to you and getting to know you more. Um, yeah. And uh, I've been we've I, you've been on our radar for a long, long time. I've met you after a couple of Steely Dan gigs, and we've briefly talked about it. But you know, we just with timing and everything, it's been hard to get it together. But mm-hmm. thanks so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I, I do. We would like to catch up with you again in the future, and no maybe doubt. you know after you get rolling with Toto, maybe we can catch up and find out how things are going. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Thanks, yeah. thanks very much for having me on. Cool. Yeah. Well, well, take care and best wishes with everything you guys are, are doing this year and uh, uh, with Toto. With with and you know we didn't even get to touch on other subjects like Sting and John Mayer and some exactly. of the other people. That's you the next with, but next show. Yeah, okay. we'll save that for another time. <laughs> 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 thanks, Keith. All right, we appreciate it. Thanks, man. We'll do it again. All right, All right. take care. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Right. Special thanks to Keith Carlock for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zape, Mikhail Ingstrom, Uwe Reith, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Unilon for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. 